Turn with me tonight to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to continue on in our series about our homes. Bless this home. And we'll look tonight at what God has to say. We looked, we've looked the last couple times at um, God's role for, for husbands and wives. Um, and then tonight we're going to look at this idea of God's expectations for children that we find here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. So if you're here tonight and you are, a, and you are someone's child, this message is for you. How many of you here tonight are someone's child? Okay, that's good. They did a study recently and found out that um, it's pretty much guaranteed if your parents don't have kids, you won't either, okay? So I'm glad to see that, that you all belong to somebody. And you may be at different stages in your life. We have some who are younger kids here. We have some who are teens. We have some who um, maybe your parents are, are older or some who have moved on to a different stage of life. But uh, let's look here tonight at what God has to say regarding these things. So we, say, we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Have you, when you were a kid, first let me ask the kids in this room, have you ever wished to be older? You ever wished that in your life? You want to be a little older? Okay, some of you have, right? Or wiser or something similar, right? I think at some point in our lives, we've all wished something about ourselves that was different when it came to this regard. You know, as a kid, we often wish we were older so we could do a certain activity. Um, Caleb is so looking forward to next month because Caleb's eighth birthday is next month. And he is so excited to turn eight. Let me see if, I, if some of you kids know. Do you know why he's so excited to turn eight years old? Because when he turns eight years old, he doesn't have to sit in a booster seat anymore in the car. He is so excited. How many of you kids remember when that happened, right? That was such a cool thing, right? He is so pumped about that. Maybe you... Uh, you wished, uh, when you were even younger, you wished you could be in an, an elementary school, an elementary age student so you could go to school, and maybe then you wished you could be a teenager so you could go to youth group and hang out with other teens, and then you wished to be an adult so you, don't, so you could be done with school. But here's the great news. We can spend our lives as kids sometimes wishing we were older so we could do certain things. God doesn't have an age requirement for you to serve him. God doesn't have this, well, if you get to this level, then you can, you can serve me. He has a plan for all of his children, even if they're young. And so tonight, I want to look at God's roles for children in the home and see what he's called on you to do now and the rest of your life. And what we see here in this passage is that God's expectations for children in the home helps them develop healthy relationships with adults and the Lord that will serve them well the rest of their lives. It's a lot of words to say the very simple truths, okay? You as a kid, what God has designed your home to be is the training ground for the rest of your life. What, what, what God expects out of you in your home helps you develop relationships with other people, adults, and it helps you build a healthy relationship with God. 
Um, and that all takes place within the four walls of your house. And parents, to us, it's a challenge that, that the home is the training ground for life. That what we teach in a home, uh, it, it, it carries on with our kids, good or bad, many times for the rest of their lives. And I'm not going to get off too many times on the parent rabbit trails tonight. That's next time we're going to talk about God's expectations of parents. But there are a lot of applications and, and dots you can connect as we go through these things. That if, that if this is what God expects out of children, parents, how are we helping our kids see the responsibilities God has given to them, and realizing those responsibilities in their lives. So let's look at this passage, and there's really two very simple things that we see in this passage that God expects out of children. The first one, let's see if you can guess it, is what? Obey. I was, uh, thank you. Thank you for some of the older kids in here helping me out, okay? Obey, because obedience is God's command. Okay, Ephesians 6.1 is a verse that you're probably, you're probably familiar with. How about our younger crowd in here tonight? How many of you know Ephesians 6.1? How many of you are your parents? That was the first verse they ever taught you was Ephesians 6.1. It's, if, if your family has followed the principles of Scripture, you've probably heard this verse a good bit. In fact, if you were to poll my children, if you were to ask my three older kids if they knew this verse, they would all tell you they know this verse. Now, Joanna doesn't know the reference, but if you look at her and say, children, she'll look at you and say, obey, because she knows that's what the Bible teaches her to do, and that's what mom and dad have told her. Maybe she didn't put it together, that's what the Bible says, but that's what mom and dad say, and we tell her that's what God says. So God has designed the world to work in a certain way, and, and we said before that the building blocks of society are, are our homes. And just as he expect, has expectations for husbands and wives, and some of you kids who have been here have heard me talk to your mom and dad about the expectations that we have for husbands and wives, God has expectations for children and parents. So we're going to examine what God has to say to children. And so if you are here tonight and God speaks to you and others are grown, but you're still someone else's child and to you, God still speaks, reminding you of your duty to those whom he's placed in your life. So let's begin with this simple, straightforward command. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And I really think, we look at that and we say, well, that's about as simple as it gets, right? God has called on all children to obey their parents. That word that's used there, you often use me, you know, hear me break down these words from the Greek, and, and here we're going to do it again, okay? Just, just very briefly, that word children is an all-inclusive word. It doesn't indicate just young children. It can refer to any children living under their parents' roof and under their care. So yes, here's what happens in the society we live in, especially here in America, there's a big push in our society about rights, and especially children's rights, and what kids have the rights to do or not do. We had a missionary come in, um, the Bankston family that we support, you know, they're in New Zealand, and, and it, that's actually the, the rights that children have in their families has gotten pretty crazy over there, things that, that they can do as far as even uh, disowning their families at, at a young age. And so... And also our society may even define what adulthood is by a certain age or things that, that they're allowed to do. But 
we have to understand that, that not, not with rights, but what God has given to his children is responsibilities. And we, especially here in First World America, get extremely hung up on rights. We talk about, well, that's my right to do this and my right to do that because we were raised that way here in the United States to talk about rights. But God doesn't talk about rights in the Scripture. You know what he talks about? He talks, he, he talks about the responsibilities that he's laid on us as his, as his children. So you, as a child in a home, have a responsibility from God to you, this is your responsibility to obey your parents. If a home is not a God-centered home, or if a child is not a believer, then there's going to be great struggles here. Because again, this goes against our human nature. The basis of this is submission to one another as we submit to God. But Christian parents should begin to instill in their children the principle of obedience from an early age, even though that child is not old enough to acknowledge their sin and accept Jesus Christ. It doesn't make them any less of a sinner, but they need to begin to understand that God has a way that the world works. You understand that your children are born sinners, right, parents? Okay, and if you don't believe that, find yourself a few two-year-olds in the nursery and hand out hammers and see what happens, okay? It's not going to end well, right? If you're here tonight as a child and you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, then this command that to, to obey your parents should fill the biggest part of your view of life. Because it's directed right at you as a child of God and a child of earthly parents. That's why Paul says that you're to obey your parents, and he uses this statement here, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This doesn't mean... That you only obey your parents if they're Christians, or only obey your parents if they're talking about spiritual things. No, what he means by that is you obey your parents because that's what God has called you to do. See, obeying your parents is obeying God. Colossians 1:18 says this: Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 3, verse 20. I think I said the wrong reference, but it's Colossians 3:20. You as a child, have been loaned to your parents by the Lord. And your parents' mission is to raise you for the Lord so that one day you will leave your home and take up your own life of serving God. So therefore, you are under what we call the stewardship of your parents. That they, they are managing, they are, they are raising you, not for themselves, not for their own glory, but for God's glory, and that you can be used for him. And as they are responsible to God for you, you are then responsible to obey them. But everybody likes a good exception clause in life. That this is always true unless, okay, here you go. You ready, kids? Here's your exception clause. Here's the only time you do not have to obey your parents. You ready? I see pencils being ready. If they tell you to do something that disobeys God. And I'm looking around in this room and I see a lot of parents that teach their children to obey God. So if, you're, if your parents come up to you next week and tell you, hey, we're going to go rob a bank as a family activity, I get, you know, then you could tell them, you know what? God says thou shalt not steal. That would be the only time that you would obey God. Because you say, well, I'm going to obey God rather than men. But other than that, what's your calling? To obey. 
But even if a child were to find himself in a home where he was a, a believer and his parents were not, and that happens sometimes, kids get saved. Some of you in this room are that way. You, you, you were saved while you were still living under your parents' roof, and they weren't Christians. You know what God still says for you to do? Obey your parents, unless they tell you to do something that goes against God's word. You're still to obey your parents. And as God's decree, this command is not only straightforward, it is undeniably right. Obedience is God's command, and obedience is undeniably right. Look at the end of verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word means that it is just, or it is proper, or as it should be. Some of you are like me. And you like things to be the way they're supposed to be, right? There's a certain way the world is supposed to work, or there's a certain way things are supposed to be. Um, Some of you kids, you'll connect with this. Some of you adults might too, or you might disown me. I don't know. But let's talk about those Lego sets I have in my office and things I like so much, okay? I'm one of those boring people that I like to put the Lego set together like the instructions tell you to put it together. How many of you are, uh, some of you kids aren't like that, but some of you adults might be, you know, like... I like, to, I like to put them together the way it's supposed to be. There's a way it's supposed to be, right? And that's probably because I'm old and lost my imaginations, okay? But think about that illustration this way. Obedience is the way it's supposed to be in the home for a child. That's the way that God has set it up. It's undeniably right. God is not the author of confusion, but he is a God of order. He has a way the world works. And that way is the only way that it will work. And when God's way isn't followed, chaos rules. If you want an example, just look at the world after the fall of man. Before Adam and Eve chose to sin and, brought, and plunged the human race into spiritual darkness, things were very different. Mankind and God enjoyed perfect fellowship. We read that Adam and Eve used to walk in the Garden of Eden and talk to God. Man carried out his work on earth in perfect harmony with God, Adam and Eve in perfect harmony with each other, and with the creation. But after sin, everything changed. The world fought back the, 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 the way that the ecosystem works or the animal kingdom and mankind, there was enmity between those things. And most of all, you know what was damaged? Relationships were damaged. Man's relationship to God was damaged. Do you remember that when Adam and Eve sinned and they knew God was coming into the garden? Do you remember what they did? They hid from God because they were ashamed of their sin. Our relationship to God was broken. Our relationships to other people were hurt. And so, naturally, in and of ourselves, we do not want to follow God's order. We don't want to do things the way God wants us to do them because we're sinful people. But just because we don't want to do it that way doesn't mean that our way is right and doesn't change what is right. And for millennia, 
humans have gone their own way claiming, well, this is going to work out this time. I I know it's going to be different, but it hasn't. And God's way has always proven to be the best way. Because just because you believe something with all of your heart doesn't make it right. Let me give you an illustration. You can go throughout life as a you know, normal, rational human being and say to people, you know, the sky, if you look up in the sky, it, it, looks, it looks green. It looks red. It doesn't look blue. And you can go through your whole life claiming that. You can, you can rebut that the sky is blue. You can find every little scientific definition of color you want. But to the end of the day, when you walk outside and you look at the sky on a normal, clear day, you would have to admit that the sky looks blue. And you can repeat this for any number of things in life that are true that you want to try to contradict. But at the end of the day, just because you feel like saying something different doesn't change the truth. You can say all you want. I don't think obeying my parents is the best way for my home to work. But God says it is. That doesn't change the truth. God says this is how the home works. This is how a home is supposed to function. He gives roles to husbands, to wives, to parents, and to children. And when these things aren't followed, when when one of these things gets out of line, when husbands don't treat wives the way they're supposed to and lead them, when wives don't submit to their husbands the way they're supposed to and uphold them, when parents don't parent their children the way they're supposed to or children don't obey their parents, guess what? Chaos reigns in your home. And And sin, you know what sin brings with it? It brings disorder. It brings rebellion against God. And it will bring nothing but sadness and brokenness and emptiness. But if you want to live a full life fulfilled in in feeling fulfilled in it, you need to follow God's plan. So God's plan for a child is that he or she would obey their parents. But how how do we do that? Is obedience just Okay, this is just for the little kids, okay? Is obedience just doing what you're told? What do you think? Thumbs up for yes, thumbs down for no. Let's see them. Okay, got some thumbs up. I got some in the back that aren't sure. They're like going to do sideways, okay? All right, we'll ask the parents to join. What do you think? Do you think obedience is just doing what you're told? Thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm seeing lots of thumbs down. Okay, that's good. In Scripture, I think you can find a three-pronged approach to what obedience is. And I hope that this will help you, if you're a child here tonight living at home with your parents, I hope this will help you think through what obedience looks like. And I hope as parents, it will help us think about what type of obedience we should be teaching our children. So here we go. This is how do, we, how do you obey. Okay, we, We've already settled God's command that we're supposed to obey and that it's right. So let's talk about what it means to obey. Well, the word obey in this passage means to listen, to attend to, and to act under the authority of the one who is speaking. So it requires action. Now remember that obeying your parents ultimately goes back to obeying who? God. All right? So we will look in, when we look in Scripture, we want to look at, at what it means to obey when it comes to obeying God to help us develop this definition of obedience. So first, 
How should we obey what we should obey quickly? Obedience is obeying quickly. That is immediately. So kids, when your parents give you something to do, you go and do it without waiting. Consider what the psalmist writes in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is full of how we are to approach God's word or how we're to view God's word and how we're to respond to God's word. The psalmist says in verses 59 and 60 of Psalm 119, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to what? Keep your commandments. When it comes to doing the things God has given us to do, should we be waiting around? No. The same is true when it comes to obeying those whom God has placed over us in our home, our parents. So proper and right obedience takes place quickly or immediately. Whatever you're doing is suddenly not as important as your new assignment. Hey, the playtime can wait. The book will still be there when you're done. The game can be paused. Your agenda is now on hold because you have a new job to carry out. And a lot of times what that means is is you need to drop whatever you're doing and get in the same room so you can find out what's going on and what's, what's being expected of you. Hey, kids, when you hear your name, you hear your parents call your name, you don't wait for you to hear it a second time. You go what? Quickly. Oh, come on, kids, help me out. You go quickly to find out what's going on. We say in our home, slow obedience is disobedience. We say that probably more than we want to, okay? <laughs> but slow obedience is disobedience. And you get up and you go and you respond, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I'm coming. Let me tell you what's not obedience. Obedience is not sitting there doing what you're doing going, what? Okay? You say that, your dad will say, I'm not a light bulb. Get over here. Okay? That's a dad joke for you. All right? What? We don't have that anymore with light bulbs, do we? Okay? They're all LED now. So, first, what is obedience? It's obeying quickly. Secondly, it's obeying sweetly or with a proper heart attitude. Your attitude about obeying is just as important as you carrying out the action of obedience. You're going to face temptation as a kid about the attitude that you take when you obey. You're going to be tempted of those old feelings about the rights that have been infringed on in your life. You're going to be tempted to argue, at least in your mind, Maybe you've ever, maybe you've, I'm sure none of you kids have ever done this, okay? But you're at least tempted to think, well, I mean, it's not my turn. Last time I did this, right? No, no one's ever said that before to your parents, right? Okay, good. And maybe you don't say it out loud. But your private thoughts are just as important. This is about your heart attitude. God's very specific about this through the, the, through through the, the writer of Proverbs here in Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. 
All right, say it with me. Ooh, all right. That's kind of that's kind of gross, right? You know, this isn't spo- this is spoken by the writer of this proverb as a curse. Hey, this is what's going to happen. Because God cares deeply about the attitudes that we carry in our hearts. He is concerned about the actions that we do, but he's also concerned with the attitudes that accompany them. Outward actions are worthless without right hearts. So when we're told to do something, we do it with the right attitude. We do it with the attitude of submission and gladness. Because after all, you're obeying who? Not just your parents, you're obeying God. And so when mom and dad say to take out the trash or mow the lawn or do this or do that, we don't walk and think, oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe Okay? How many of you ever done that before, right? Okay? Some of you are honest. I appreciate that, okay? Yeah. That's not obedience. Sure, you're carrying through the action of going and obeying, but in your heart, you're not obeying. And God says that we're to obey quickly, that is right away, sweetly, with the right attitude, with, a, with the right heart attitude. And last, he sa- we, we see in Scripture that we obey completely. Hold your finger right here in Ephesians chapter 6 and take your Bible and turn back to the book of 1 Samuel. Okay, we'll be there in just a minute, but you can go ahead and get set in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we see... In 1 Samuel 15, the necessity to be obeying all the way. Okay, I told you that we say um, that, that slow obedience is disobedience. One of the things we also say in my home is incomplete obedience is disobedience. We need to listen to all the parts of a task given by our parents and carry them all the way out. The necessity of obeying all the way is seen in the life of King Saul in Israel. Saul, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and 1 Samuel chapter 9, Saul was the king that Israel demanded. Saul was the king that Israel whined and complained and God let them have their way and have. And when God sent Saul on a mission to destroy the Amalekites, And God did that because in the past they had been disobedient and shunned him. And this was their judgment that was being carried out by Israel. He was very clear. Saul's instructions were this. When you attack the Amalekites, you don't leave any people, any any rulers, any animals. All of it's to be wiped out. It's part of God's judgment. It's a very good picture on what God's judgment looks like, that it's complete. But instead, what Saul did is he saved some of the things there when they attacked the Amalekites. One of the main things he saved was the king, Agag. He kept him alive. Another thing he did was he kept the best of the animals alive. And so along comes Samuel, who is the prophet And look what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 15 in verses 13 through 23. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Stop right there. I just told you 
what Saul had done, right? Did Saul do the job the way, all the way? But what does he tell Samuel? Hey, I've done it. I have carried out the commandment of God. Okay, verse 14. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Stop right there. What does Samuel say? Hey, I hear something. You know what you can hear off in the distance? Right? I'm not going to low like an ox, okay? You just get one, you get one animal noise per night, okay? He hears these things, and he knows what? What does he know? They didn't do it. And Saul said in verse 15, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So now you have Saul, he's blaming who? Oh, well, you know, the the people. Stop right there. Who was in charge of this mission? Saul. He's the king, right? Now he's casting blame. And then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord got, which, on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agad, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took up the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things that sh- which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. The price of Saul's incomplete obedience or his disobedience was very high. Saul's family would not inherit the kingdom. And God would not guide Saul in his life. Saul tried to make excuses for how it happened, but at the end of the day, he was the one responsible. And he thought in his mind, or tried to excuse at least before Samuel, that, well, we did it to do something right with it. We did it to make sacrifices to God. I mean, isn't sacrificing a good thing? And Samuel said, what's more important than offering sacrifices is obeying God. In reality, he was disobeying God by not obeying him completely. And when you are called to do something, when you're called to obey your parents, you're called to obey them all the way. Not just until I got distracted with something else or until I felt like stopping. Or until I had a better idea, but to obey in everything they said. So how do we obey? Let's say them out loud. Ready? We obey quickly, 
and completely. That's how we should obey, kids. Parents, that's how we should expect our kids to obey in the home. They do it right away with the right heart attitude, and we do it all the way. And we, by in so doing, are not just learning how to obey our parents, but you're learning how to obey God. When God calls us to do something, when God in his word shows us his direction for our lives, when God shows us sin in our lives, we need to address. How do we need to address it? We need to address it quickly, right away. We need to get on it. We address it sweetly with that hard attitude that, God, I want to make this right. I want to obey you. And we do it all the way. Not just enough to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but we address it all the way. And now Paul has more to say because we're not only called to obey our parents, but in the second part of this passage, we're called to honor our parents. Paul says in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 6, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now let's talk about some ramifications or some things that are true about what it means to honor. Paul is taking things to the next level here. For command, the command to children is that they not only obey their parents, but they also honor them. When Paul talks about honor, he's not talking about action. He's talking now about attitude. The word honor means to reverence or to assign value to something or to esteem, hold something up. It means to hold in the highest regard and with the highest respect. As God is the one who has set our parents over us, we give them the respect that is due as it is from God. And so we treat our parents with such respect. Kids, your parents aren't a punching bag to just throw around and say things about. Your parents aren't the old man and the old lady. They're not your equals. But instead, they're set over you by the Lord and to be viewed with the utmost esteem. And this attitude has to be fostered in the home and then carried on outside of the home. Respecting other people should be a way of life. We hear much about that in our world today, about showing other people respect. Now, a lot of times it comes to do, it has to do with um, people who are maybe bullying other people. We talk about respecting other people, but it starts in the home. It starts with the parent-child relationship. And unfortunately, our culture has gotten very cavalier with this. And it should, be, it should be the norm for younger to address older with respect. It goes even in the, thing, the way that we address people and the titles that we use. Now, in our society, where we live in the United States... We show that respect even when we speak to someone by addressing them as Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. or Miss or whatever is appropriate. And respect and honor should be the default, for, for especially for a younger generation. Now, you may get to know someone really well. We were at the, the house there night with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Minders, okay? And we had the teen Christmas party, and they got up in front of all the teenagers, and they said, look, you just call us, I remember you said that the other night, you just call us Don and Sue. And they may say that to you, but before that you hear that, you know what you should say? Well, that's Mr. Minders, and that's Mrs. Minders, or Mr. Don, and Miss Sue, or whatever it is that you use, until you're told something else. Because we go in with the attitude of, we're here to respect those who are 
older than us. We're deferring to another person's wisdom in life and in the experience that God has given them. And your parents are deserving of that honor as well in your home. Now, you have the privilege of calling your parents. You don't, you know, you don't look at your parents and call them Mr. and Mrs. Hall, okay? Because they're your parents, right? You say, well, that's my mom and my dad. They very, have a very personal relationship with you, but it's a relationship that's built on respect. And that's an honor that you carry with you throughout the rest of your life. See, there's a responsibility of honoring your parents that goes on with you through life. There will come a day, kids, when you will leave your home and begin to make decisions completely on your own. But even in those moments, you are expected to show honor to your parents. You still seek to show them respect and deference with your life. You seek to honor them with your life, even as you make your own decisions. And you know what you can do as you get older? You can show your your parents that you're honoring them even as you grow up and grow in the Lord and and you make your own decisions in how you make those decisions and what you think through in those decisions. And then one day, if God tarries... And if God gives your parents, continues to bless them with, with, with life and as they get older, that honor is going to take on a very personal form in your life. One day your parents may be in need of your help. They may no longer be able to do things for themselves and that script gets flipped. And instead of them caring for you, and they did that for so many years as you grew up in their home, you may find yourself then caring for them. That may be physically or even financially that you're caring for them. And Jesus made it clear as he was on earth that that honoring our parents includes this type of caring for them, whether it be physical or financial. But I would argue that it shouldn't shouldn't be just financial assistance alone how we honor our parents, but involves a personal involvement in their lives. One pastor said it this way, money can be an expression of love, but never a substitute for love. And I have seen, as a pastor especially, many children caring for an elderly parent as that parent is in their latter years or is experiencing sickness and hardship. And I think every time that that is one of the greatest expressions of honor that a child can can give to their parents. And I pray, personally, I pray for these that are friends of mine. We have some in this church that care for their parents. I pray for God's blessing on your life as you care for your parents. Because that is truly honoring them. And I'm telling you, it isn't easy. It isn't convenient, but it is love and it is honor. But let's think back to parenting. You know what else? You know what parenting isn't? It's not easy and convenient. And this is just a small way that we can honor our parents for the investment that they've made into our lives for the Lord. And when we obey and honor our parents as God commands, we can be sure that, see, that God sees and marks that. You see, God, we, we often talk about God knows our hearts and we talk about God's judgment. But God also sees honor and obedience and he blesses that. We see, lastly tonight, 
honors results in our lives. Look what Paul said. He said, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Paul, in restating the Old Testament command for honor to be given to parents, also restates what was said in the Old Testament when after that command. That there is a good and long life promised to those who will obey God in these matters. This fifth commandment from the Ten Commandments is the foremost with a promise attached that the quality of one's life who obeys and honors his parents will be wonderful. That's what Paul means here when he says that it may be well with you. He's talking about the quality of life that you live. It's not this idea that if you obey your parents, then money's just going to fall out of the sky and you're going to have all these things. But he's talking about the, the life that you enjoy will be a great, a good life. Why? Because it's a life lived in obedience with God. When you disobey God, it's a hard life. The writer of Proverbs says that the way of the transgressor is hard. Those who are right with God enjoy an unmatched joy and blessing in their life from God. If you're not living in obedience with God, your life will be hard. But if you live in obedience to him, you can enjoy the blessing of being right with him. But Paul does go beyond that in repeating what God said. He says, not only that it may be well with you, the quality of your life... And you may live, what? Long on the earth. I remember growing up, um, we, there were four of us in my family. So there's, it goes boy, girl, boy, girl. I'm the oldest, okay? My oldest children in here, that's the best, right? Okay? Yes. Um, and I have a, the, the youngest is my sister, Olivia. She's, she's eight years younger than me. And I remember that um, we had a great, great uncle. His name was Uncle Howard. He served in the military. I think he's buried, I believe, at, at Arlington Cemetery. Um, and he, he died at a very, I, he, was, he was, well, I mean, we were kids. He was way up there, okay, in his 80s or 90s, somewhere up there. And I remember my sister saying, you know what she said? Well, he must have been a very obedient child. But she was a lot younger, right? Because well, She said that because that's what the Bible says, right? That there is a quantity assigned to life in obedience. We say, well, why is that? What does God mean by that? Does God mean that, that if we obey him, that our parents won't turn on us and kill us early? Okay? No, that's not what he means. Okay? Paul is repeating this promise that you may live long on the earth. doesn't mean that, that everyone who dies at what we consider a young age was a disobedient person. Okay? doesn't mean that, that someone who, who experiences even like a childhood illness, no, oh, yep, that, that's what they got. And that's not what we're talking about, okay? But it can be said that the believer who lives in obedience to God will not have his life cut short of the measure that it could have been. Let me illustrate that to you from Scripture. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this every time we have Lord's Supper here at church. We read this warning that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that we are to, to not take Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And Paul says 
that he talks about how, how people in Corinth were doing that. And he says, that's why many of you are sick and weak and some have fallen asleep or some sleep. And he doesn't mean that they're, they're in the church pew, you know, knocked out, okay? What does he mean? They've what? They've died. That God, they are his children, and they have taken this and they've, they've tolerated sin in his life, and he's brought them where? To heaven, to home. Their life has been cut short. Why? Because of disobedience. Let me illustrate it to you another way. In Acts chapter 5, we meet two people. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. And they looked around and saw what was going on in the church there in Jerusalem. And they saw that, that people who were giving um, these large sums of money, they were, they were being honored. And so they went and they sold some property. And they, they decided that they were going to keep some of it for themselves, the, some of the money. Now, that was not the sin. Okay? There was nothing that said you, could, you couldn't sell property and keep some of it for yourself. The sin was this. They decided that they would go into the church and say that they were giving all of the money to the, to the church. So this is what God has given us. So Ananias goes in and he says, this is what we sell property for and we're giving it all to God's work. And what did God do? Yeah. He, he killed him right there. And not long after that, Sapphira comes down. I, I suppose because Ananias hadn't come home and she wondered if he was still there. And they said to her, did you sell this property for, the, for such and such? Whatever amount was that Ananias said they had agreed on. And she, she says, what? Yes. And what happens? She dies. The life that, that they could have had, living for the glory of God, was cut short. And, and so what we're saying here is, is, is it's... That living in obedience to God and living in obedience to our parents, because that's obeying God, will, will help our lives be the fullest and, mo- and, and, and greatest and most joyful of what it could be in God. Now, quite literally, in the Old Testament, the law of God stated some very stiff penalties for disrespecting, dishonoring your parents. Children could be stoned for dishonoring their parents. Now, we look at that and we think, well, it must not have happened. They didn't, must not have performed that all the time because there were still kids around, right? I mean, how many of you, you, you thought, well, I, should have, I, I wouldn't be around anymore, right? So quite literally, in the Old Testament, it had this fulfillment, but also Paul repeats it here. So when we obey our parents, we have the, the opportunity then to live our lives to the fullest extent that God has planned us. God's expectations for children in the home helps them develop healthy relationships with adults and the Lord that will serve them well for the rest of their lives. Very simply, kids are special to God. You look no further than the life of Jesus and his ministry to see that. He ministered to children frequently in his life. And God has a role for children to play in his plan for the home. And you as a child have been given a great opportunity to be a part of a family and to obey God by obeying the parents that God has given you. And in a world where disrespect is normal, disobedience isn't really viewed as wrong. And kids get whatever they want. You have the opportunity to live differently than that 
especially if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can be an incredible testimony for the Lord to others by how you carry out God's expectations for you as a child. Now, we can sit here tonight, obedience, talking about obedience and honoring your parents, and I'll tell you, that preaches really easy and lives really hard. You sit right here tonight and you think, yep, that's it. I'm going to go home and obey my parents. I'm going to honor them in everything I do. And you're going to get home. And everything will be great tonight, but tomorrow's Monday morning. Monday mornings are hard. Because you've got to get up and go to work. You've got to go to, well, not you. Your kids are staying home, right, probably, right? But your dad and mom, maybe they've got to get up and go to work. Or, or they've got to get things started and do this and do that. You've got to go to school. You've got to get this. And that, those, those hard attitudes begin to creep up. So it becomes very hard to obey. That's why we need God's help. We have to fight the sin of our flesh that wants to rebel. That takes discipline in our lives and time with God to break those bad habits. But you can set a path of honor and obedience as the theme of your life no matter how old you are. If you sit here tonight as a kid and you say, I really struggle with this. I really need some help. I really need to, to find some answers and, and, some, and someone to hold me accountable with this. Let me tell you right now, okay, who God has put in your life to help you with that. Look down the pew at your mom and dad. That's who God's put in your life to help you with that. That's who God has, has set up in your life to help you to learn how to do this. And we can live lives that glorify God and play a big part in our families that honor him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power to change our lives. Thank you for your care over every aspect of our lives that you don't leave us to wonder about these things. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here and hear these things tonight. And Lord, thank you for your care for kids. Help us tonight to live in a way that would honor you and lift you up. Help us to seek and strive to live as those that are here that are children, to live in a way that would lift you up. Help us as parents, as grandparents, as Christians connected to families to seek to disciple our kids to live in such a way. Lord, not to make our lives easier, but to live, to give you the honor and glory that that our kids would learn what it means to serve you. Be with us now as we leave this place in a few minutes. May we honor you and glorify you this week. Watch over and give us safety. In your name we pray. Amen.